Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Content Director with ACG's Media Group. Today's episode is part of our series focused on family offices, sponsored by RSMUS, a leading audit tax and consulting firm focused on the middle market. This is the third installment of the series where I'm talking to RSM professionals about trends they're seeing within the family office space, along with their insights into best practices. In our first episode, we talked about structuring considerations for family offices, and in the second, we covered the top five areas that family offices should be aware of surrounding tax policy and other changes. That brings us to today's episode, where I'm joined by Bill Bajessi, Global Family Office Markets Leader for RSM, who also leads Global Family Office Governance and Best Practices efforts for the firm. Bill is here to talk about governance within family offices and specifically around constitution and education. Bill, it's great to have you on the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much, Katie. I appreciate it. Governance can mean different things to different people. So I thought we could start by talking a little about that. Can you set the stage for us by giving us your definition of governance and talk about some of the things a family office needs to do in order to set a solid foundation for that governance? Yeah, I, I think you know governance, the term gets used to describe a lot of different things. So in simple terms, governance is basically a framework for decision making. When you think about decision-making, you often think of investment decisions. That's often what a family office is created for. But from my experience, and I think what's really important for families that are thinking of setting up a family office, it's doing all the work up front to lay the foundation for the family office. And, and governance really helps you know, direct that, those efforts to, to lay that foundation. So, Katie, I think there are three critical steps to building that foundation. Uh, Number one, you want to codify the family history. Number two, define the core values of the family. And then number three, develop your mission statement for the family and the family office. And, you know, those three steps, if you will, in terms of, you know, laying that foundation include thinking about the family history. So codifying, you know, the family history, what were those pivotal events that led to the family's fortune? But I often say to families, you know, think about what were the challenges and obstacles in their history, whether that's a personal challenge or obviously with, with the business, you know, what were some of those key decisions that led to, you know, the family's business growing? Often that, you know, by just talking about the family history, it leads to, you know, a great discussion. And that discussion often includes, as you think about overcoming obstacles and, you know, what were those sort of key events, it brings out the core values of the family. And that's really the second piece in terms of building that foundation. So, you know, to me, it's, you know, the family should have a, a, a great discussion. And, and sometimes it's helpful to have one historian in the family sort of capturing the history, but then to have a, a meeting where you're really just talking about what were some of the core values that helped shape the families? What are the core values today? But what were some of those core values that might have been passed down from the previous generations, from the, from the patriarch or matriarch of the family? And then, you know, when you think about what those core values are, oftentimes those are included in the third piece, which is the third piece of the foundation of governance, which is developing a mission statement for the family and the family office. So oftentimes you can include the core values and sort of that preamble, if you will, in terms of thinking about, yeah, the mission statement, you know, right up front, highlight what are the core values for the family and then lay out, well, this is the mission for the family. 
I do think in terms of a best practice, it's better to say, well, look, this is what the mission is for the family um, for generations to come. And oftentimes that will include, you know, philanthropy or something that's critically important, but quite as simple as just, you know, making sure the family stays together, you know, to avoid conflicts, to avoid the family separating. Mm -hmm. And so as the family, you know, codifies its history, defines its core values, develops a mission statement, who should be at the table as part of that process? Yeah, so in terms of being at the table, I often say that I think, you know, the family needs to be fully engaged in the conversation. And again, families approach this in different ways, right? Oftentimes there is a trusted advisor serving as the facilitator. There are, you know, firms that that's all they do is, you know, work on governance and bringing family meetings together. But again, particularly in families that are at that stage where they're thinking about creating a family office, they often turn to their trusted advisor. It could be you know, a partner at, the, at an accounting firm. It could be their lawyer. It could be an investment advisor that they've been working with. And whoever they decide to, to pull in to be there uh, could be very helpful because sometimes just asking the questions and you know, saying, hey, let's talk about the history of the family. Not every family has someone that's ready to take that on. But that being said, I, I do think that you know, the family has to be present <laughs> and they are really the ones responsible ultimately for coming up with documenting the history, what are their core values, and then developing that mission statement. If that trusted advisor says, look, I've known the family for 20 years, and I think this should be your mission statement, I don't think that's going to be very beneficial. and It's not something that the family is going to internalize. So having the family you know, intimately involved throughout the entire process, and then ultimately creating you know, the list of these are the, our core values this is our mission statement. You know, that that's going to make ensure that it's successful and that's passed down to generations. Hmm. And you've argued that a, a constitution is an important part of a family office's overall governance framework. What's the purpose of that document, and how does it fit with you know some of the the things we've already been talking about? Yeah, so a family office constitution, you know, similar to when you think about a country's constitution, the American Constitution, it's really you know capturing. You know, what is the framework for the decision making? And you know, again, each constitution can be different, just like you know, how, how each country can create a, a unique constitution. In the family office world, though, I, again, in terms of best practices, I think you know, starting with documenting the history to some extent, right? You don't need to have you know a hundred page book, but capturing some of those core turning points in, in the family, the pivot points that shape the family highlighting some of those core values and having the mission statement, you know, really in that starting point um, of the constitution is really important. The rest of the constitution and the key areas for the constitution really involved with like, who's going to make the decisions, how are those decisions made? Um, And that's where the constitution when it's first developed, you know, it could be fairly short, but again, with some of the families that I've worked with that are multi-generational, the constitution gets very developed and, you know, very robust. But again, that, that's a process. And just as, you know, a constitution for a country evolves over time, the family office constitution often evolves and is built up, um, you know, as the, as the family gets more involved in terms of, you know, building the family office, going through that first initial hiring process and, you know, creating the, the infrastructure for the family office. Yeah, and I, I want to stay on, on that point of decision-making. Can you talk more about the types of decisions um, that, you know, would be outlined in a constitution? Yeah, well, again, I think some of the most important initial decisions are, you know, the structure 
for the family office. And a lot of times that will involve talking to their tax advisors, their legal advisors in terms of, you know, what is this family office look going to look like from a legal entity standpoint? And then the ownership of the family office, you know, what family members are going to be owners, who's going to be involved in the family office. And then oftentimes it's that critical first hire. You know, are you going to hire a CEO who's then going to take the leadership of trying to build up an investment team or to look at those other trusted advisors in terms of the tax work, the legal work? You know, that hiring decision is really one of the first critical decisions that the family has to make, you know, who, who is going to be brought in. For several families that I've worked with, you know, it tends to be either the, the matriarch or the patriarch or the you know, husband and wife working together that they've had a liquidity event. And then they're trying to decide, okay, what is this family office mission? You know, what do we really want to accomplish with our wealth? What are some of the things that we want to protect uh, in terms of making sure that our values are passed down to that next generation and future generations? And the reason I share that is that that might dictate you know, who that first hire is. Um, some families will sell their business and say, look, it's all about compounding our wealth. And that may lead to that first decision being, well, let's build the best investment team and make sure we have the right wealth advisors in place. For others, it's really much more, you know, I would say, you know, focused on preserving the core values of the family, um, making sure that that wealth doesn't have any negative impacts on the family. So that might include, you know, bringing in a CEO or someone that's, you know, much more, I would say, experienced in terms of the education of the family members, building the right governance structure within the family, making sure, you know, that there's protection in place to guide the family members after a liquidity event. And I would imagine by outlining the processes for decision-making in the constitution, on the one hand, it's setting up the family for success and hopefully making good decisions. Um, I would imagine it's also um, helps with avoiding conflict. Is, is that the case? And if so, can you say more about that? Yeah, again, I think when you think about decision-making, uh, unfortunately, a lot of times, if that is not clearly mapped out, ultimately, there will be conflict. Yeah, I'd say that the typical example of you know how conflict can arise, in a, particularly in a family office that is relatively new, it's, you know, how are those investment decisions being made? You know, if everybody in the family has been involved with the business and there was clear ownership structure and a clear sort of leadership approach, the, the structure is in place at a, at a family-owned business. Once that liquidity event occurs and the family no longer is running the business, there is oftentimes some confusion. And, you know, this is where governance becomes so important. It's like, well, how are the investment decisions going to be made? And I have found that in my 25 plus years in the investment world that yeah, that can create conflict because if a family member says, oh, I have a great idea, but it's not put in the portfolio, you know, there could be you know, some issues. Um, the other side is often, you know, once that decision is made that, hey, an investment is going to go forward, well, who's participating in it and how is that decision made? So again, this is where you know, the, the right structure, the right governance in, in terms of who's making the decision, how are those decisions going to be made? If it's all codified and in the constitution, then it should be clear to the family members. If that's not clear, then there's going to be bad feelings. And, and particularly if performance isn't what they expect, and it's not really going after the types of investments that each family member wants for their particular pool of capital, uh, it could create quite a bit of conflict. 
Is creating a constitution, is this a, a one-time project or is this something that needs to be revisited and potentially updated over time? Yeah, I think, you know, very similar to, uh, you know, again, a country's constitution, it's, it's always evolving. Um, my advice in, in terms of best practices, at least once a year to review the constitution. Again, for a family that has had a major liquidity event and is just setting up their family office, that process could take a year before you know, the full constitution comes together, and then at least once a year to review it. The multi-generational families that have had a constitution in place for you know, 50 plus years, again, it's, I still think it's worth doing it once a year because the, again, the family members are constantly growing. There's new family members being brought in. There's always new challenges. Uh, so at least once a year, I think is, is a good best practice in terms of reviewing the constitution. And yeah, those changes, when you think about what's occurred with ESG over the last five years, you know, that's something that even a, a constitution for a family office that's been around for a hundred years, you know, reviewing that to say, well, did we capture, you know, do we have a decision process in place to deal with ESG? If there's a family member now that says that's a critical piece of how they want to invest, and they want to make sure that that's something from a philanthropic standpoint that the family office is paying attention to. And that's something that needs to be addressed. So at least once a year, I think, is a, is, a, is a good best practice for families. Bill, what should a family office do to educate family members and ensure they're prepared to be involved in its operations? So there are three key components, I think, in terms of education at the, at the family office level. One is just your basic financial literacy. Um, you know, making sure that they understand wealth management, everything involved in terms of what, what is a stock, what's a bond, you know, making sure that they understand those kind of core principles in, in investing, but also, you know, across the operations of the family office. The second key piece on education would be security and privacy. You know, confidentiality has become critically important, you know, in this age of cybersecurity. I think that's a critical aspect in making sure that they understand you know, the importance of keeping things, you know, private, particularly when you think about the risk of, you know, just what a, a phone can give access to everything within the family office and, you know, making sure that everything is protected and that they understand that how important that is. Um, third critical point uh, on education is lessons and, and legend. You know, and that really gets to, you know, educating all the generations, you know, for the family, making sure that those core values are then passed down to that next generation. Um, because the the one you know danger and the one thing that I think most families would all agree to is that you created this great wealth, there's been this great success, but then making sure that that wealth does not impact future generations in any negative way. You know, do are those core values, all that hard work and you know everything that went into building this fortune, all the sacrifices that were made that's not lost uh, on the on future generations. So far, we've been talking about the younger generations and preparing them for the future. Are there other stakeholders within the family who can benefit from education beyond just the children and grandchildren that we've been talking about? Yeah, it's a, it's a great question. I would say that oftentimes there's a lot of focus on you know, that next generation, the kids, right? The, you know, what age do you bring them in? I often say that you know, as early as 12, you know, to get them Starting with those, you know, that basic financial literacy is, is very important. But I, I think sometimes, you know, what's lost in the in the process there focusing on the kids is the fact that, you know, family members in their 30s, 40s, 50s, and even 60s 
if they've been spending their life running an operating business that, that is then sold, they may not have had a lot of time to really think about what is investing. And you know, they're, they're still brand new to the investing world oftentimes. They're also brand new to the family office world, which again, to me, that's why governance is so important. They, they probably have similar applications that they've used in terms of how they run a business. And then what we need to do is help them understand how does governance shape in the family office world you know, what's the education that needs to occur, not only for their kids and their grandkids, but for them. Mm -hmm. And we have an upcoming episode in the series. It's actually going to be our our final installment where we're going to highlight succession planning in a conversation with your colleague, Tony Wood. But briefly, Bill, maybe tell us how families should think about succession planning as it relates to good governance. Yeah, I think from a governance standpoint, Katie, and again, I think, you know, Tony will probably spend a lot of time on this topic, but the way I look at it is, you know, a, a successful family has been running a business, particularly publicly traded companies. They spend a lot of time thinking about, well, okay, who's going to take over? <laughs> you know, when that CEO steps down or retires, there's, there, you know, the market will demand that there is someone ready to step in, uh, because that transition doesn't happen. The stock's going to get, you know, hammered. And I think in a family office setting, it's the same thing. Now there isn't going to be a a publicly traded stock that's going to you know get get nervous about well who's going to succeed but i think the same type of thoughtful consideration and you know laying out okay what happens if uh, those sort of scenario analysis needs to occur because again oftentimes the the family office when it's first created it is that you know patriarch or matriarch of the family that drove that business to the success that you know ultimately led to the wealth that created the family office so there are strong personalities in place, um, and unfortunately, I've seen this, you know, in my career that, you know, that that generation that created the wealth is, you know, sort of driving everything. And sadly, when you know, when the time comes when they either pass away or, or retire and can no longer lead the office, if there isn't someone ready to step into those shoes, then you know there could be a lot of conflict at that point because then it's okay. Well, who's stepping in and why, and which family branch is going to you know suddenly step into that seat? So that's where succession is, is critically important in the family office market. Okay, well, we'll wrap it up there for today, but we will pick up this topic with, with Tony in a couple weeks. Um, for listeners, you'll find future episodes and the two we've already released in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on the middlemarketgrowth.org website under the podcast tab. Bill, it's been really great speaking with you today. Thank you for joining me on the podcast and for being part of the series. Thank you so much, Katie. I appreciate it very much. Thanks for listening to this episode of Middle Market Growth Conversations. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or on Spotify to make sure you never miss an episode. And if you liked what you heard today, please give us a rating and write a review. It really does go a long way in helping other listeners find out about us. This podcast is produced by the Association for Corporate Growth, the largest membership association for middle market M&A and corporate growth professionals. We host networking events across the world. We publish magazines and special reports and much, much more. Learn more about the benefits of membership at acg.org and consider joining us as a member. Last thing, if there is a topic you want to hear us talk about on this podcast, a guest you think would be great, or even if you just have some general feedback you want to share, we would love to hear about it. Please send us a note to editor at acg.org. Thanks again for listening. 